All right, we're going to get right into the message this morning, uh, part three of the series called The Gift, and today we're going to be focusing on uh, the gift of peace. And I'm going to read from uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. This is the passage. This passage is the centerpiece of uh, Christmas prophecies. You see this passage a lot, these particular verses in, in Christmas cards that you may have already received or are receiving. Uh, so it's, a, it's not an unfamiliar passage, especially this time of the year. Uh, and the prophetic words that are given here, they were spoken some 700 years before the actual birth of Jesus Christ. But they are prophetic and, and they, they, uh, they were fulfilled precisely by Jesus. So in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, in verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. There will be no end. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you this morning that as we look into your word, I thank you for the gift of peace. We thank you for the, the working of the Holy Spirit, administering peace to our hearts, directing us in the paths of peace. And we thank you, Lord God, that today that we have ears to hear and that you are ministering to us uh, in, in the very circumstances and situations that we are experiencing, the very, our, our current reality, you are ministering peace in Jesus' name, name above all names, amen. So I just want to take a moment and, and uh, make reference to the verse, verse 7. It says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And, and so uh, I want you to just uh, recognize for a moment when it's talking about the government being upon his shoulder, that this is looking beyond the very first Christmas, the birth of Jesus, to a time in the prophetic future when Christ will literally reign over a literal kingdom that will encompass all the kingdoms of the world and all the governments of the world. And it's a time known, we haven't, we're not there yet, but we're getting closer to it, the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that day, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will reign in righteousness and in peace, complete righteousness and in complete peace. Until then... In this time that we're living now, in the meantime, his government, this government of peace is to operate in and through the followers of Jesus Christ, those of us who put our trust in him, otherwise known as the body of Christ or the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So his government is to reign through us. And, and while we are here on the earth, before we get into the millennial reign, so I want you to know that since his government, his kingdom government resides within us, the kingdom of God is, 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 is uh, within you, tells us in Luke chapter 17. And also we know from Romans chapter 14 and verse 17 that uh, one of the, the, the characteristics, the main characteristics of God's kingdom government is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So God's government is to be displayed on the earth 
until Jesus comes back, his, his government is to rule and to reign on the earth through the body of Christ. That's through each one of us individually and collectively together. We are to be a demonstration of God's government of righteousness and of peace and of joy in the Holy Spirit. And so I just wanted to make note of that about the government uh, being upon his shoulders and, and, and of, of the increase of his government and of, and of peace. There will be no end. We're talking about a kingdom peace, not a natural peace, but a kingdom of God peace. So in uh, verse 6 again, I want you to consider now with me, if you would, for a moment, the, the attributes that the prophet gives here concerning the Christ child. Tells us that, uh, and we know by the names that he's given him here, he said he will be, be wonderful counselor. This prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ being born, God becoming flesh and dwelling among us, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. You know by the names that people are given, you can tell attributes uh, about the person. So he's Wonderful Counselor, and we have that available, we have him available to us today as Wonderful Counselor through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He is also known as Mighty God. He is our strength. He's not only our comforter and our counselor, but he is our strength. God's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can ask or imagine according to his power, his strength, his wisdom, his peace that's working in us. And he's also called everlasting father. I think of a father. I think of that provider, the protector. So he is your provider, he's your protector, he is your everlasting father. And then last but not least, he's going to be uh, everlasting father, prince of peace. Prince of peace. Now, when you, the, the word peace in the Old Testament is shalom. You, you hear that word different times. And so, and the meaning of shalom, among other things, is uh, uh, it, it means a completeness, completeness, a wholeness, nothing missing, nothing's broken. It can mean a security, and it also can be referred to many times as the well-being of the total person. Wholeness, the well-being of the total person, spirit, soul, and body. And that is God's will for us, that the shalom of God, the peace of God, that when we are experiencing that to the level that it is available to us through Jesus Christ, that we can fully anticipate a completeness, a wholeness and, uh, of our well-being, that we are functioning spiritually, we are functioning in the soul realm, and we are functioning in the, the physical realm, the total person. Sometimes when you're reading the Old Testament, the word uh, is translated peace uh, from the word shalom. Sometimes it has to do with a physical meaning, such as security, protection, safety. It can mean a contentment that has a, more of a, again, an inner uh, a heart condition there that you, you, you're experiencing a, cont a contentment. Sometimes it's in reference to prosperity. God's prosperity for you, and other times it may simply be referring, not simply meaning that it's not a big deal, but sometimes it's referring to an absence of war, and then there was peace for the next, for the rest of his reign or for the next 40 years, and you, you read it sometimes like that, so it's in reference to an absence of war, and so in the New Testament, peace is a, it's more of a inner tranquility of the person whose trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ. The peace that Jesus uh, spoke of was a combination of hope, 
of trust, again, of wholeness and quietness of mind and soul. And it's brought about through reconciliation with God. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, I think, says it best. I mean, there's many references, but this is one of my favorites. And it tells us that, Therefore, since we have been made right with God, right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done. You see, why should I anticipate experiencing quietness of mind with all the turmoil, with everything in the environment that that seems to be on edge? It's like ready to fall apart at any time. You know, just look at any part of our culture, our society. Um, How can I uh, even have a hope or aspiration for having some type of contentment or security or wholeness? It's because what we're talking about here is that peace that because we have been made right in the sight of God by faith in Jesus Christ. By faith in Jesus Christ. And so we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So never lose sight of that. Always be clinging to that when you are experiencing or whether you're just observing it or you're hearing it. Always keep that in mind that, yes, that is a current reality in, in the world that I am living in. But you can also remember, I believe it's how John 16 and verse 33, Jesus said that in the world you're going to have tribulation. But I've, I've spoken these things to you that in me you may have peace. That you may have peace. And so keep focus on God and what Jesus Christ has done for you through forgiving us of all of our sin and brought us into a right relationship with God, we now have peace with God. I often refer to this when I teach on the subject of peace, but I see uh, we have, the Bible refers to a, uh, to a vertical peace, and a, a vertical and then a horizontal peace. The vertical peace is that peace that I have with God. No matter what happens in this world, I have peace with God that I'm going to heaven. I have a peace about that. And it's not uncommon for people to reference that when, when, when they are facing uh, the, the, you know, they realize that they're soon going to make the transition to heaven. And they'll say, it's okay. I have peace. I'm at peace with God. And that's a good thing. That's, that's the most important peace that you can have, what Romans 5.1 is talking about, that I have peace because I've been justified back to God through my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have, I'm at peace with God. But there's also another peace, the shalom, that God speaks of throughout his word and even, and even the New Testament peace, that we are experiencing the peace of God and we are in peaceful and harmonious relationships with one another. I'm experiencing a manifestation of his peace while I'm here on earth. It's not just, well, it doesn't matter what happens, you know, all hell is breaking loose and, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fearing and I'm fretting, but it's, it's going to be okay because I'm at peace with God because I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So come what may, I know it's going to turn out well. Well, come what may, I'm going to experience peace until, and then I'm going to experience peace throughout eternity. Amen? And so I don't... Pr- Stand here and proclaim this to you that, Pastor Ray, is that really what you, is that what your life is like? You really experience that kind of peace? Some people think that because they see me as being calm, cool, you know, don't get too worked up. But 
The next time you're out with nature and you see some mallard ducks on the water, and you just think, boy, don't they just look calm, cool, and collected? They're not worried about anything. But if you were to look underneath the water, they're a little, you know, they think <laughs> And then when they get, when, when, when they sense danger, it's just, it goes faster. You don't see them paddling faster, but they start moving faster. You know, things are going on underneath that you can't see. It's just, it somewhat has to do with personality. So just because I, I have more of a, a, a calmer disposition about me doesn't mean that I'm not being challenged to experience anxiety and, and, and to be challenged in my complete trust in God that all's going to be well. But I'm working on it, and I want to challenge you today to continue to work on it. And when I say working on it, that may not be a good word. I'm, I'm practicing receiving the peace that Jesus Christ has come to give me. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the decisions are being made, I've said this before also. Sometimes people talk about direction in life. You know, the Holy Spirit counselor and people are trying to make decisions in life and they're feeling anxiety about making the right decision and, uh, and, and, and they're getting all worked up and getting nervous about it. Then they'll talk to some of their Christian friends and they'll just give them a nice Christian answer and say, well, you know what? Uh, you just need to follow peace. You know, I have these three different options and uh, no matter which one I make, it's really unnerving me. And I'd, I'd really like to know which one is the will of God for my life. And some wise counselor says, well, follow after peace. Or don't worry. Don't be afraid. Were you ever afraid? And someone said, don't be afraid. And all of a sudden, you just didn't feel afraid anymore. Because... <laughs> Or you're trying to make a decision and you're all anxious and someone says, follow after peace. Oh, that was simple. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? Well, I'm trying to follow after peace, but I have three options here and every one of them requires a step of obedience, a step of faith. It's, I'm stepping off the cliff here. I'm putting my trust in God and I'm not seeing what God is promising and you're just telling me, don't worry about it, follow after peace. Yeah. To say it, and to live it, to receive it. But we can get to a place where we are receiving, but we have to pursue peace. The scriptures tell us, you know, pursue peace with one another. So it's not, just, it's not just something that's static. It's not just that it's here and we have it. We have to continually be pursuing it, pursuing peace. And so you want that vertical peace with God, having accepted Jesus as your Savior, all is well. You have the gift, you have the promise of eternity with God. That's great, that's wonderful, that is an anchor for us. Now out of that, we want to begin experiencing that horizon, the horizontal uh, peace, which is a byproduct, and a peace among one another. So I want to invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2, or you may not be turning to it if you have your, your device so you can, you know what I'm saying. It's just, what I'm saying is I'm admitting that I just said something out of habit. Turn to. <laughs> Read with me if you would. In Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading at verse 14. And this entire chapter is, again, Paul writing to the churches at Ephesus. And he really teaching them and encouraging them, reminding them of what has taken place, what Jesus Christ has done for us, and how he has brought about that vertical peace that we have with God. A manifestation of uh, Romans 5 and 1. 
So in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 14, I'm going to read this from the, from the English Standard Version. It says, For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And so one new man in, the, in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. I love this next line. Thereby killing hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we, have, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Jesus himself in verse 14 is our peace, the vertical peace that I was speaking of. We are at peace with God. Out of that, we now are to be participating in, in that peace and, and, and displaying that peace on a horizontal plane with one another. Peace in this particular uh, passage here, he's talking about the peace between the Jews and the Gentiles. The grace of God having been extended from the Jewish people to the Gentile nations relatively new at the writing of this letter. So the whole idea of, of uh, Gentiles being accepted by God is foreign in many of, the, uh, many of the Jewish people's minds. It's like, how can God be accepting of these Gentile people? And so there was, there was, a, there was a wall of division there. And so we see here in, in, in verses 14 through 16, we see several things taking place here. And, which, and the byproduct of it is that there's peace among the Jews and the Gentiles. But what we see taking place here is that, number one, is that, uh, br that the dividing wall of hostility was broken down. The dividing wall of hostility was broken down. That is good news. Not only between, yes, the original recipients here, he was addressing specifically Jew and Gentile, but think about your relationships and the hostility that you may have in, in, in whatever area of relationships. That that middle wall of hostility broken down. And as a result of that, he was abolishing the laws of ordinances. Abolishing the law of ordinances. And then number three, we see in verse 16, killing the hostility toward one another. The wall that separates, the wall of hostility is, is, here is in, is in relationship to the regulations that excluded Gentiles. Regulations that excluded Gentiles. The moral law, the instructions of the moral law continue. We are still supposed to honor. We're still supposed to uh, not be killing one another. There, there's many uh, laws that we are still 
moral laws that are to continue, but we must not tolerate any practice of the law of Moses that excludes Gentiles or forces others to become Jews. We are already accepted by God in Christ Jesus, and we are to recognize at all times in all of our relationships that the, that the wall of hostility has been broken down. So this particular passage here in Ephesians really is, is, is powerful. I, I encourage you to just spend some time just pondering. Don't read through it too quickly. Don't say, well, I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to make that my devotion today and read it and then close it. But just especially the verses that I pulled out here, they're all very, very important. But just think about what's taking place here. Jesus himself is your peace. He made both one and he broke down in his flesh. It's talking about his body being broken at Calvary's cross. Isaiah the prophet referred to it that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was placed upon him. When his body was broken, so through his broken body, he broke down that wall of hostility that you can now experience vertical peace with God and horizontal peace with one another. By abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that might create himself a new man in the place of the two, so making peace, making peace. So this passage requires your uh, your reflection, your meditation, and even more important than that, it requires your response. And I'm going to give you at least two responses today that I think uh, are required as a result of this information, of this revelation of God having made peace. The first one, I think, is, 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 uh, stands out is that cultural preferences, your cultural preferences must take a back seat to the unity of Jesus Christ. Did my mic cut off? I, I, did, <laughs> let me try that again. Cultural, your cultural preferences must, must take a back seat to unity in Christ. Your cultural preferences cannot have priority over peaceful relationships with one another. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Pursue peace. We're to pursue peace. We're to live in peace. And we must get beyond their cultural preferences. Well, I don't like that culture. I'm afraid of this culture or uh, you know, they're, they're not like me. That, that, whatever your hang-ups may be, we have to get beyond that. Jesus tore down that wall of hostility. So whatever hostility, whatever uh, bias I may have towards any particular culture, it has to, take, it, it has to be removed because Jesus Christ, uh, uh, where's that other uh, language in here, the one verse I shared it with you? Let's see, verse 16, it might reconcile us both to God in one body in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So you may have a hostility in your heart, in your thinking towards a culture because of an experience. Whatever the reason for the hostility, maybe you don't even have a reason. You were just taught to be hostile towards a certain culture. I want you to know that Jesus killed that on the cross. He killed your permission to be hostile towards any people groups. 
Is my mic coming through? Is this battery going in and out? Are you hearing me? You are hearing me. All right. You're taking notes. That's good. So cultural preferences, backseat to the unity in Christ. Christ, not culture, gives the primary definition to peace with God. Christ, not culture. So you want to make sure that your vertical relationship with Jesus Christ is first and foremost, and as a result of that vertical relationship of being at peace with God, I can be at peace with people of any culture. I have the love in my heart that God has for the whole world. He so loved the whole world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever would believe on him would not perish but have eternal life. So we want to grow in that place. We want to, we want to be the ones that are being uh, extending peace to other cultures. I grew up in a mindset of uh, not, you know, it's funny when you talk about your parents after they're gone, but, but anyway, my, my family was very, very conservative culture, and, and uh, especially with my father, it was a very uh, very strong opinion that that his church, that that their church, that that was you know, you stayed within the church. You, you weren't supposed to marry outside of the church. You didn't hang around with people outside of the church. And it was very common for uh, I would hear this frequently coming from my dad when we'd be talking about someone, and that the comment would uh, before. I guess what he was thinking is before this conversation warrants my time, I need to first of all ask you this question. Were they part of the Grace Church? Are they, are they a non-denominational church? Are they Baptist? Are they, you know, are they Catholic? Are they this and are they that? What's it matter? Why is that important before you decide how you're going to respond? Are they Republican? Are they Democrat? Or are they independent? What does that matter? When we're talking about eternity, nothing, nothing when it comes to loving people and, and being at peace with people. So this passage requires that response that Christ, not culture, gives the primary definition of life and peace, and we are to pursue peace with all people. The second response that I uh, see in this particular passage is that as Christ followers, we must demonstrate we must demonstrate that the dividing wall of hostility is broken down, and it reads in verse 16, that Jesus' redemptive work killed hostility. It killed it. Can you wrap your, your, your mind around that phrase that Jesus' Jesus's redemptive work, he killed hostility? Whatever hostile thinking you have in your mind towards any person, to believe that you can be released of that and you can experience peace because Jesus killed that hostility within your immediate family, within your community, within your church, within the country, within the state, Jesus killed it. And I believe he killed that because he and, and his government and of his government. Remember, in Isaiah's prophet said of his government, there will be no end. When Jesus departed and went to heaven, you know, 
He gave the church, he gave you and I the authority to rule and to reign. And it's a kingdom government, and it's characterized in Romans 14, 17 as righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. God can bring peace to any situation. God can bring peace to the most difficult of circumstances. God can bring peace to your most ruthless enemy. And God can bring peace into your deepest pain. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Nothing is beyond Christ's reach, his reign of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for you, for all of us, not just for you.